Well, good morning and greetings in Jesus' name to you this morning. Good to have each one here, visitors included. There's a number of you here this morning, and welcome. Good to have you here. So I was thinking about clubs, and I really appreciate the, uh, the words there from the last couple of weeks. You know, I remember over the years at clubs and at camp, lots of frustrations. You know, little boys peeing the bed at camp. Um, you know, bad attitudes, not wanting to sleep out at camp, camp out. But I'm convinced again this morning, and I thought about this when Jason mentioned the judgment, I'm convinced that there'll be things at the judgment that are going to be different. There'll be, there'll be people at a different place at the judgment because of the work through the years. And I just want to encourage you to keep, to keep that up, keep going through the challenges and the difficulties and the frustrations and the hard things. Keep going. There will be things that will be eternally different, people that eternally will be in a different place because of your work. So thank you for sharing that again this morning, for that encouragement and that reminder. It's not obvious now, perhaps, and sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But what is not obvious to us today will be obvious someday. So hang on to that. This morning I want to look again at the book of Judges. This is the third of a three-part, of three sermons taken from the book of Judges. And I don't know if you're tired of this book, but I hope that our uh, the message today can bring encouragement to you. I think there's... Again, I think there's three primary ways that we can look at the book of Judges. One is to see it as a series of just catastrophic and devastating events, one right after the other, where the children of Israel end up looking more like the Canaanites around them than the people of God, and a portrait of what, what happens to a group of people when there is a lack of good leadership. <clears throat> that was the subject of the first sermon that I preached on this. We looked at how mankind in general and God's people in particular left to themselves tend to trend downward and deeper and deeper cycles of depravity. We looked at how the attitude or the idea that I can be good on my own without God is completely false. How without God, my life and my past and the way that I live would fit into the book of Judges. And finally, how this leads us to a decision point. We really have an option of who we surrender to, either to my own depraved heart or to Jesus Christ. Another way that we can view the book of Judges is how God can use ordinary people in difficult circumstances to perform his will and rescue his people and see God's grace and redemption woven through a time when his people had turned on him. And that was what we looked at the last time that I preached, centered around the sovereignty of God, how God rules and overrules in history, how God's word stands in spite of man's unfaithfulness, how God uses the decisions that man makes to accomplish his own will. But then the book of Judges abruptly ends with no closure, leaving us to wonder how God will continue to rescue his people from their enemies And from themselves. And then a third way that we can look at the book of Judges, I believe, is to look at the individual stories of individual judges 
look at the choices that they made and how God ultimately used them. And that's what I'll be preaching about today. And so the title of today's sermon is this, The Book of Judges, Man's Choices Matter. So the last sermon we looked at the sovereignty of God, and today we're going to look more at our own choices and how that affects the course of history. One of the things I like to see here at church is children taking notes. And children, if you're taking notes today, what I would encourage you to do is list the name of the judges as we look at each story and describe them. Just list and describe. Um, list, List the name of the judge and describe a few things about them. And then at the end, we'll look at how God used them. The first judge we want to look at is the judge Ehud in chapter 3. Turn with me to Judges chapter 3. We're going to move through these fairly quickly. Judges chapter 3, looking at verses 12 through 20. And you can scan down through there and take a look. Refresh your memory. Ehud was one of the leaders of that time. And he was the one who was to take the tribute to the king of Moab. And after he did that, he pretended to have a private message for the king. Now, one of the questions as I look at this story is, why would the king's guards allow this man from Israel to come in privately and give a private message to the king? And we don't know why. One thing we know about Ehud is that he was left-handed, And assuming that the guards checked him, they probably would have looked for a weapon on the left side rather than on the right side because most warriors were right-handed and they kept their weapon on the left side. But in addition to that, one thing I found interesting here is that the Hebrew word translated left-handed literally means impeded right hand. And I believe it's possible that Ehud was actually handicapped or crippled in some way and that he was not necessarily a threat as a result of that, he looked uh, like he couldn't harm anyone, and so they left him in. Either way, he killed the king of Moab, rallied the troops in Ephraim, and led the people to victory. But what I, what I want to highlight for us here this morning is that God used Ehud, the handicapped judge, to accomplish his will. The next group of judges I'd like to look at are what I call the six Forgotten judges, Shamgar, Tola, Jer, Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon. And if I were to ask you to name any of the six forgotten judges, I doubt you'd be able to do so because they're forgotten. There's just a verse or two about each one of them. We don't know much about these these men. Shamgar killed 600 men with an ox goad. That's found in chapter 3, verse 31. Tola lived in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel 23 years. Jer led Israel 22 years. Ibsen, 7 years. Elon led Israel 10 years later on in the book. And Abdon led Israel 8 years. So we know very little about these judges or what their time was like. But one thing that we do know is that God used these behind-the-scenes judges to lead his people and to accomplish his will in his timing. The next judge that I want to look at is Deborah, the lady judge, found in Judges chapter 4 and 5. During this time, uh, the people were ruled by Jabin, the king of Canaan. And Jabin had 900 iron chariots, an indestructible, insurmountable 
force of an enemy. And Deborah was leading and judging Israel during this time. And I don't know why Deborah was leading and judging Israel. Obviously, it was highly unusual for a lady to have any type of leadership at this time in history. But we could probably make some assumptions here. And one of the assumptions I think we could make is that at that time, there was a lack of men to lead. Men that would have been capable or willing or able to lead. And so I believe that Deborah leading here was actually an act of grace for God to raise up a woman leader at this time, at a time when men were unwilling or unable to do so. But it was also a humiliation to the men of the time. None of them were chosen as capable in God's sight to lead. And I believe that it's truly a distressing time when men do not stand up to the call to lead. Now, God revealed to Deborah that Barak was to lead the army against the Canaanites, but he refused to do so unless Deborah would go along. And we can read about the battle in chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. We'll just look down through there. In verse 15, it says, The Lord discomfited Sisera. Sisera was the commander of the forces of Canaan, and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Now, as a result of Barak being unwilling to go to battle without Deborah with him, the honor from the victory did not go to him, but rather to a woman, and Sisera was killed by a woman. So God used a woman to lead at a time when, when, when men were unwilling or unable to do so. Deborah submitted herself to God. Deborah worked with Barak. But Deborah did not just sit around. The fourth judge I'd like to look at is Gideon. Gideon, the cowardly judge. And his story is found in chapters 6 and 7. This is probably one of the well-known stories of the book of Judges. And it's probably somewhat unfair this morning to call Gideon cowardly. But we can certainly call him a waffler, constantly waffling back and forth. And starting in chapter 6, verse 11, we see his story. The angel of the Lord came to him. The people were oppressed. The angel of the Lord came to him. He was hiding. And in verse 14, the angel sends him to save Israel. And we see Gideon's response there in verse 15. And his response was this, my family is weak and I am the least in my family. Gideon goes on to ask for a sign to his credit when he realizes that this was indeed the angel of the Lord. He changed course a bit. The Lord told him to tear down his father's altar to Baal, and Gideon did this. Now he did it at night, but he still did it. And then in verse 24 of chapter 6, we see the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he blew the trumpet and gathered the people together for war. But then at that point, he waffles again. He asks God for another sign, actually two signs, and this is where we get the idea of the fleece, and God graciously honors both both requests. And so now Gideon is finally ready to go, right? He has his 32,000 men. He's ready with God's help and leading to take on the enemy. He has overcome his fear. And so if I were to be God in this situation, you know, you finally have a leader that's willing to go, 
He's overcome his cowardice. He's ready to lead. You give him all the men he needs, and you send him out there, right? But God had a concern here. What if God delivers the people, and then they say that they did it on their own strength? What if they boast against God and believe that they accomplished this somehow on their own? If they were to win the battle, but then believe that they accomplished it on their own, they would be no better than if they had not gone to battle at all. Because the challenge that they were facing at that time was not acknowledging God and his sovereignty and who he was, and rather giving their allegiance to idols. And so believing that they accomplished the victory on their own would have put them back in the exact same position that they were, that they were in already. And so God tells Gideon to tell his men that if they're afraid, they can go home and 22,000 leave. Now think through this a bit. Okay, the enemy has more troops than the sand of the seashore, and there's 32,000 of you, and you're going up against them. You're willing to go, right? But are you afraid? Yeah. Yeah, you're scared. Of course you are. But imagine Gideon's discouragement here. Two-thirds of his men are fearful and leave. But God's not done yet. There's still too many men, he says. Apparently, God doesn't know math very well. God ultimately brought Gideon's army down to 300 men. God used a judge, a cowardly judge, but he doesn't give him courage by giving him a lot of men, a lot of physical resources. Rather, God takes over 99% of Gideon's men, leaving him with less than 1% of his original fighting force. Gideon needed to learn to trust in God in spite of the circumstances rather than because of them. However, it is interesting to note that God was willing to give Gideon a sign, and God also gave Gideon the fleece at his request. The fifth judge I want to look at is Jephthah. Jephthah the reject, chapter 10, verse 6, and then also through chapter 11 and chapter 12. And we can look at chapter 11 and see what this man was like. Jephthah the reject. Jephthah's father was Gilead, but his mother was the prostitute. Not something to be proud of. Not something to talk about. Not something to put on a plaque and hang on the wall. Actually, he was downright a disgrace. So much a disgrace that his brothers, his own family, drove him away. You are not part of our family. You will not have part of the inheritance. Your mother is another woman, and you are a disgrace to the family, so get out. And get out he did. Jephthah fled to Tob, where a gang of men gathered around him, vain men, the Bible says, scoundrels, adventurers, men with nothing better to do, surrounded Jephthah. Now, apparently Jephthah made a name for himself, because when war came, the leaders came back to him on their hands and knees, begging him to lead their battle. And of course, Jephthah's response in chapter 11, verse 7, was as expected. You have chased me out, but now that you're in trouble, 
you're asking for my help. Help me understand what's going on here. But I'm impressed by Jephthah's acknowledgement of God. He did not only see this as a political opportunity, but he called it for what it was. In verse 9, he says this. He acknowledged that it would be God who would deliver the people and not Jephthah, if indeed the people were to be delivered at all. And then in verse 11, Jephthah repeated all his words before God at Mizpah, before going into battle, or in this case, negotiation with the enemy before battle. And in Hebrews chapter 11, he is one of the heroes of faith. And when we read Hebrews chapter 11 and think of the whole life of Jephthah, we ask, why is he there? What is he doing there? He doesn't belong there. But I believe he does. God used a reject who was driven away by his family, a man who had a small faith in God to accomplish his will. The next judge that we'll look at is Samson. Samson was the son of a childless woman. And I want to particularly look at Samson's mother this morning. She was barren, the Bible says, childless. If you're barren or childless in the Bible, that is strongly looked down on in Bible times. And even today, with a different perspective that the culture around us has on children, childlessness is still a very difficult and challenging thing to work through. Whether it comes from infertility, singleness, or other reasons, it can be hard to process or to understand why God works in the way he does. But God always has a plan, and we always have a choice. Samson's mother had a hard time getting pregnant, and so it puts her in good company in Scripture with Sarah and Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth. And it puts Samson in good company in Scripture as well with Isaac, Joseph, Samuel, and John the Baptist. And so God uses Manoah's wife, childless, to be the mother of Samson, a man that God used effectively to keep the Philistines at bay culturally by little feuds and little spats here and there. And another man who ultimately ends up in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. And so God used a barren woman, a childless woman, to be the mother of an impactful man of faith. Now the last person that I want us to think about this morning is not in the book of Judges. She's in the book of Ruth. But this was during the time of the Judges, and we referred to it a little bit in the last sermon. She lived during the time of the Judges. She was a heathen woman, an outcast, an unbeliever, who ended up serving God faithfully. God used a heathen woman to serve him during a time when God's people were wayward and were not serving him. So one of the things, one of the themes, recurring themes here in the book of Judges that I find is that God uses people in spite of themselves. And there's probably no place that I've experienced that, and some of you would probably say the same, more than at a week like a week of boys and girls camp. You realize who you are and that God is using you anyway in spite of yourself. And we see that again and again and again throughout the book of Judges. 
God used Ehud, the handicapped judge. Ehud was never going to be the strongest or the fastest. He wasn't going to be the first one chosen for the pickup game of baseball. He wasn't going to be the marathon runner. But he chose. He made a decision. He made a choice to answer God's call and allow God to use him. And then we had the six forgotten judges, Shamgar, Tola, Jer, Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon. We don't know much about them. To us, they toiled and labored behind the scenes. They don't have a prominent place in the book of Judges. They're not named in Hebrews chapter 11. But God used them to lead Israel for at least a combined 70 years. And these men chose, made a choice, to follow God even if it wasn't glamorous. And we looked at Deborah, the lady judge. It was highly unusual for a woman to be in any place of leadership at this time. God used Deborah at a time when men were unwilling or unable to lead. She did not insert herself or dominate, but rather she chose to submit herself to God and work with Barak. But one thing she didn't do was just sit back and watch. And God used Gideon, the cowardly judge. Gideon started out as a coward. Gideon asked God for a sign. God miraculously answered, and Gideon gathered an army. Gideon put out a fleece twice, and God answered. Even when God whittled Gideon's army down from 32,000 to 300, Gideon made a choice, a personal choice, and he chose to trust. Trust that God would follow through with what he said he would do. Trust that God was who he said he was. And trust that God could conquer an army as many as the sand of the seashore with 300 obedient men. And God used Jephthah, the reject. He was rejected of no fault of his own. Jephthah was then put in a position where those who rejected him needed him. And he chose. Jephthah made a personal choice to not take advantage of the situation, but rather to trust in God and to serve where God had placed him. And we looked at Samson's mother. Samson was the son of a childless woman. Manoah's wife clung to her faith in spite of being childless. She lived a life of following God in spite, not because of, but in spite of the circumstances. Manoah's wife chose. She made a personal choice to believe what God said, even when it seemed unreasonable. And God used Ruth, the heathen woman. Ruth was in an unenviable position. Her father-in-law, husband, and brother-in-law had all died. Her mother-in-law was planning to leave and go back to her own country. Ruth had to choose between the culture, the family, the people that she grew up with. She had to choose between everything that she knew and following the true God. That was her options. Everything that she ever knew or following God. Ruth made a personal choice. She ultimately chose to follow God, and her story is one of hope during a dark time. 
And so I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Like Ehud, do you have a physical or mental handicap of some kind that you think keeps you from being all that God wants you to be? Like the six forgotten judges, are you toiling behind the scenes, wondering if anybody ever notices or appreciates your work, and wondering if God even sees and notices? Like Deborah, do you find yourself in a position of leadership this morning where you don't really belong, but there's no viable alternatives? Like Gideon, do you find that you are afraid of what God is calling you to do? Like Jephthah, do you find yourself rejected at no fault of your own and wonder if God could even use you at all? Like Samson's mother, do you find that the circumstances that you've been dealt make you wonder if God has forgotten you and perhaps make you wonder if he even cares or exists at all? Or like Ruth, do you find yourself in a position with a difficult choice to make? One option is keeping all that you've ever known, and the other is following the true God. And so as we look at these seven judges or groups of judges, what do they all have in common? What are the common threads, the common themes that we find among these seven, there's two things that come to mind. And the first thing is this. Man's choice to serve, to serve God, and to have faith in God in spite of their own weaknesses. You have a choice. You have weaknesses. You have things in your life that are insurmountable. You have things that you can never resolve on your own. And so you have a choice to serve others and to have faith in God in spite of your weakness. The choice to follow God and have faith in him in spite of my handicap. Even if nobody notices what I do, even when I'm not sure that I'm cut out for the job that God has for me, in spite of my insecurities and fears, regardless of what others think of me, Regardless of the circumstances, and regardless of what God is calling me to let go of. But there's a second theme here in the book of Judges that I think is even more earth-shattering and more powerful. Yes, man's choice is critical, but the second thing is a powerful God who used them in his time. God was and is the driving power, and the driving force, constantly, consistently in the book of Judges. In the the darkest book, we might say, in the Old Testament, God was and is the driving power and the driving force. Because the reality of it is, you are nothing special in yourself. You are not the savior of mankind. The only thing of value that you and I are capable of doing here this morning. The only thing that we can bring to God is surrendering ourselves to him and being willing to let him work. 
God often uses us, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. As we think back to the verses that Jason read in the devotional, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a couple things that I want us to notice here. Looked at verses 18 through 31. And you can look at, the, look at the couple of verses there towards the end of the chapter. What are some of the themes, the recurring themes of this passage? God chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised. Now why? Why, we might say, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God use the strong and the smart and the important and the valuable? Well, it gives us the answer. And the answer is simple. So that no one can boast before him. It is Jesus Christ that has become for us wisdom, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And then verse 31 goes like this, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, or him that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Because you see, if we save ourselves somehow from our own issues and challenges, we become just like the Canaanites. When we serve ourselves and serve other gods besides the true God, And so God chooses to use the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised so that the glory goes to him. And so again, at the end of the book of Judges, we find ourselves with another choice. In the first sermon, we looked at the depravity of man, and the choice was total surrender to Christ versus total surrender to the depravity of my own heart. There is no middle ground. In the second sermon, we grappled with the sovereignty of God, the reality that we don't always know and we can't always understand how or why God is working in the way that he is. And finally today, we have another choice, and that choice is clear. I can try to make it work on my own, or I can bring my struggles, challenges, and imperfections to Christ and allow him to use me in his kingdom, in his timing, and as he sees fit. Let's kneel for prayer.